Hello, everyone. This is Arielle, and thank you once again for tuning in to our last lecture in our Reducing Stigma to Improve Maternal Health, Practice, and Policy for Alcohol and Substance Use in Pregnancy series. But stay tuned for our live virtual forum that we will have on March 15th at 1 to 2.30 Central, 12, 1.30 Mountain Time, where we will have guests to not only talk about all the things we've discussed and learned, but also where we should go from here. How do we move towards destigmatized care in South Dakota? How do we make this care equitable? What has been done in other places that may help strengthen the way we can provide help and healing for our communities? For our last talk, we want to give a holistic overview. We've discussed different areas where stigma against mothers and pregnant women, indeed all people in South Dakota struggling with addiction, can shape the way that we do or do not provide care. To bring it together in a comprehensive picture, our speaker today is Dr. Meredith Shogren, who is a clinical professor at the University of North Dakota, certified nurse midwife, and certified lactation counselor. Dr. Shogren has extensive knowledge regarding rural health systems, the use of screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment, and interprofessional education and training. She has practiced as a nurse midwife in a variety of settings, including private practice, rural health clinics, family planning, and federally qualified health centers, where she shares her passion for women's health with her colleagues and patients. Dr. Shogun has been a regional nurse consultant with the Frontier Regional Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Training Center and has assisted with the development, implementation, and evaluation of educational curricula regarding fetal alcohol spectrum disorder prevention and identification utilizing screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment. She's been involved in the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration-funded grant work at the University of North Dakota, where she spent three years on the Interprofessional Screening, Brief Intervention, and Referral to Treatment Training Grant, and now works with Region 8 Mountain Plains Addiction Technology Transfer Center and Mountain Plains Mental Health Technology Center Networks. Her areas of expertise include topics regarding women's health, substance-exposed mothers, infants, and families, peripartum depression, and stigma in women with substance use disorders. Most recently, Dr. Shogun began work as the principal investigator on the Foundation for Opioid Response Efforts grant-funded program, Don't Quit the Quit, where she is working to increase access to treatment and care, enhance community education about substance use disorders, and grow community awareness and support for women who are pregnant or postpartum and in recovery from opioid use disorder. Thank you very much for listening once again, and we hope to see you at our forum. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dr. Meredith Shogren. I am a clinical professor with the University of North Dakota, and I am also a certified nurse midwife. It is my privilege today to speak with you regarding the impact of stigma that's experienced by pregnant and parenting persons with substance use disorders. As part of my academic work, I sit on a grant team um, known as the Mountain Plains Addiction Technology Transfer Center, and our grant work is sponsored um, throughout Region 8 by SAMHSA. I do need to let you know that this presentation today has been prepared um, with my opinion, and it does not reflect the official position of the Department of Health and Human Services or SAMHSA. So as we get started today, it's important that we all collectively come to this um, webinar from a place of a, of a shared definition of stigma. And the one that I have really looked at and used repeatedly is the idea that stigma is an attribute that is deep, deeply discrediting and it reduces the bearer from a whole 
and usual person to a tainted, discounted one. And I think it particularly applies to pregnant and parenting persons because we often struggle with that self-confidence. We're, we're learning to transition into parenthood and we have so many things um, that are impacting our development as mothers um, that when we add stigma to that mix, it just helps us feel, it makes us feel less than. And when we have substance use disorders thrown into the mix, um, the stigma that is affiliated with substance use disorders acts as a very significant barrier to detection of substance use disorders, as well as treatment efforts. And this particularly impacts our pregnant and parenting persons in very unique and different ways from our male counterparts. The overall impact of stigma is actually quite complex. We're gonna see that there are many different views of stigma, different ways of looking at things, and stigma will impact generations to come. The burden of stigma is really an interesting concept and we talk about it as related to substance use disorders. So upon diagnosis of a disease or a substance use disorders, there might be a perceived implication that the client has control over this condition and may actually be at fault for requiring it. Now, the difference falls into the type of diseases or conditions that we're talking about. So non-stigmatized conditions tend to be things like cancer, for example. We don't perceive that that person was at fault for developing a cancer. However, if we are talking about a substance use disorder and we fail to recognize this disorder as a chronic medical condition, we often feel that that person is at fault for acquiring a substance use disorder. They have control to stop that substance use disorder at any time, and that leads to a higher burden of stigma that is experienced by that person. Pregnant persons with substance use disorders experience an even higher burden of stigma um, as they move through this perinatal period. They are increasingly being stigmatized and prosecuted for substance use that leads to financial, emotional, and legal consequences. Substance use disorders in mothers historically have been looked at as being very selfish and that they um, are exhibiting a moral failure. Many people in society believe that when a mother has a substance use disorder, it's resulting in intentional harm to her family, to the children, and it actually places an additional burden on society. This strongly drives the concept of self-stigma, this internalization that they experience of blame, shame, and guilt, and it leads to a, a struggle between secrecy and disclosure in an effort to seek treatment. Stigma is also disproportionately noted among poorer women and women of color. Um, during the postpartum period, mothers with substance use disorder continue to perceive stigma throughout many um, different entities. And so often people are unaware that the stigma carries over, especially in that first year after delivery of, a, of an infant. Um, we see that healthcare providers, the general public, their family members, um, even the addiction community itself tend to treat postpartum persons a little bit differently because of their substance use disorders. An interesting study actually acknowledged that when mothers were engaged within an addiction community, um, the minute they disclosed that they were pregnant or that they had a child, um, their perception of the stigma from their, from their peers felt very different to them. So it, it's just an ongoing type of process. I also noted here the preconception or interconception period. And what I mean by that is this period when somebody is contemplating becoming pregnant or they have had a baby and they're looking at that next um, child to enter their family. And when um, persons are in this position, in this, this, this state of life, and they're thinking about becoming pregnant, 
um, if they bring up this conversation to say a healthcare provider or even to their family members, and they know that there's also a substance use disorder being experienced by this person, they're often questioned about their ability to um, have a pregnancy, their ability to, to um, parent, and really um, scrutinized if they should actually have um, a baby in this period of time. So it's a different kind of stigma, but it's still there. We also know that as many as 70% of women who enter into addiction treatment already have children and they hold the primary responsibility of caring for these children. This greatly impacts their, their ability to um, attend um, their treatment sessions regularly, um, which we know if we don't attend, um, it, it decreases the amount of success we can have with treatment. And it makes these mothers more hesitant to seek treatment again for that fear of legal action and social service involvement. Um, adding to the complexity of stigma, we find these different layers or different views of stigma. Um, when we talk about perceived stigma, it's really this internalized negative belief that others have a, a commonly held stereotype about a particular group. So for example, pregnant persons perceiving that um, their communities feel that if they have a substance use disorder, they're less than or it's, we're, we're discrediting them. When we look at public stigma, it's the endorsement of stereotypes by a general population through really discrimination. This type of public stigma is found in communities, in private and governmental organizations, and whether it's intentional or unintentional, it tends to proliferate um, stigma and the impact of that stigma. It ultimately undermines the delivery of life-saving programs and interventions that could be targeted towards pregnant and parenting persons with substance use disorders. When we really examine self-stigma, we find that persons will hold on to this internal negative belief about themselves, but it works its way through in about four different stages. So initially, a person will become aware of that um, stigmatization um, that's out in the public or that, that society thinks that um, people with substance use disorders are just bad people. Then that person starts to agree with that, that stereotype and experiences that prejudice and then really self-applies it. So if society thinks that people with substance use disorders are bad, then I have that disease and I also am a bad person. This lends itself to a decrease in self-esteem and self-efficacy and this, uh, this idea of why should I even try? I'm not going to change this perception of who I am. This overall impact of self-stigma directly can sabotage treatment outcomes and sustain negative emotions within pregnant and parenting persons. And we know this perinatal period is full of psychological um, stress um, for people as well. Other forms of stigma that people fail to recognize are really the impact that media has um, for perpetuating stigma towards pregnant and parenting persons with substance use disorders. There are two particular um, strategies called agenda setting and framing. Um, and these strategies allow the media to choose topics that they perceive to have um, uh, be a public priority. So for example, if they focus their attention um, on illicit drug use, this can often generate or mitigate um, stigma toward the population with that illicit um, drug use. We find that illicit drug use currently is getting more attention in the media than say alcohol use or tobacco. And this then causes there to be more stigmatizing attitudes towards people who are using illicit drugs. It allows the media to emphasize the consequences of a problem of interest over others. And one area that I find this is particularly pronounced 
um, in the perinatal period is if we really look at those public type of um, campaigns that have been targeted at fetal alcohol syndrome, for example. And I would urge you all to kind of think back if you've ever seen these campaigns, did you ever find one that um, looked at the impact of alcohol on mom? Um, I, I really can't find one. For everything that I go back and look at, they highlight the consequences of the alcohol use on the fetus. They rarely will mention the impact of alcohol use and, in women and mothers and even provide um, treatment options, for example. Misinformation in itself is a form of stigma. It perpetuates itself by being repeated incorrectly and then it, it lends itself to the, the stigmatizing ideas that are there. When we devalue the maternal relationship with a child, um, often um, uh, described as that we're gonna save this infant from a mother who is harming um, that infant through the substance use, we're actually restricting her participation in, in um, infant care and we're restricting the idea that this family can remain a family unit. Punishment is probably one of the most severe forms of stigma. And what we have learned is that there really is no evidence that criminalization of a pregnant or parenting person with a substance use disorder will act as a deterrent. In fact, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have called for efforts to improve the ability of treatment and rehabilitation services so that we can assure that pregnant persons with substance use disorders are seeking care without being criminalized. Now, I'd like you to stick with me for just a couple of slides here because we're going to bring in this idea of culture and healthcare and how they impact stigma. So, um, really, every healthcare interaction that we have can occur through the context of three different cultures. And that's going to include that healthcare providers' lived experiences, it includes the experiences of a person that is seeking care, and it also includes the culture of the healthcare system itself. So, where they're going to seek that healthcare. I would argue here um, with the research that we really should entertain the idea of a fourth culture that is, that is um, impacting our stigma. And that is that um, of our community. So whether that means it's our state, it might be the rural town that we're living in or the urban city, our community is going to impact the type of stigma that a person experiences. We are all products of our environment and the communities in which we grow up in. And sometimes the same ideas will remain in those communities for generations to come. And I really believe that they are also impacting the type of healthcare interactions that we're all experiencing. So we have very many um, different variations and attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors among all individuals and all of these four cultures. They all include bias and stigma. This is a quote that um, I often try to share. A single interaction with a healthcare professional can be empowering or one that will negatively impact all subsequent interactions. So when we have a pregnant or parenting person who is seeking prenatal care, postpartum care, um, maybe newborn care, um, we have to think about that healthcare encounter that, that um, they're experiencing every time they see a healthcare provider. Brenmarger and Associates um, really did a very interesting um, qualitative type of study. They looked at 23 um, qualitative um, articles. They, they put it all together and came up with the different themes and they really were able to articulate some of the major type of negative encounters that many women shared and, and described um, through their perinatal journey. And what they determined is that mothers with substance use disorders 
um, particularly experienced five different kinds of negative healthcare encounters. So the first was a, a judgmental encounter. They sensed that the providers disapproved of their substance use disorders and they felt like they were being looking down upon. They felt blame when their infants experienced withdrawal symptoms. And this led to feelings of shame, frustration, and being um, felt being, that they were being dismissed um, during their visits. When they experienced scrutinizing healthcare encounters, they felt that they were being closely observed or monitored and being watched for indications that they were high when they were interacting with their infants. It really led them um, to, to believe that they were being questioned about their ability to mother and it triggered them to avoid prenatal care in general or to actually lie about their substance use disorder. When they experienced a disparaging type of healthcare encounter, it meant that they found um, that the visit was full of overt critical behaviors. People were rolling their eyes, they were using name calling, they were whispering often outside of the exam room, for example, before coming in. And it really contributed to them experiencing a sense of a low self-worth. When they experienced a disempowering healthcare encounter, it led them to feel like they had little or no control over their own health or the health of their infant. They felt that healthcare providers were not believing them, they were not being listened to, um, and that they were not being um, taken seriously. When they felt that they had no voice in their healthcare, it led them to feel very frustrated and very angry. And finally, the fifth type of negative health encounter that these authors described was one of deficient care. Mothers often felt that they received a lower quality of care because of their substance use. They felt that they were not provided with adequate health information. They were not given enough time during their visits to even talk about things like their care and their substance use disorder treatment. And because of this, they often discontinued that care. The authors went on to, to um, determine that mothers actually desire more information about substance use during pregnancy. They want to know about treatment options that are available and they want to know about continuing um, or being able to breastfeed, for example, when they have a substance use disorder. So they're seeking that information, but because of their substance use disorder, they felt that they weren't being provided with enough um, accurate information. So if we go back to really thinking about um, the impact of culture, we look at these types of negative healthcare encounters, I'd like you to just kind of think about this idea. If a mother is going to seek treatment for her substance use disorder, or she discloses her substance use disorder during her pregnancy and in this perinatal period, she may at the minimum have the following perinatal um, interactions. So most of the time, um, we'll see that um, prenatal care will involve about nine visits. They might have a hospital stay of say two days for labor and delivery, and they might have one more postpartum visit with the provider. And if we look at all of these types of healthcare encounters, with the understanding that each of those interactions occurs in the context of at least three cultures, this person potentially faces at least 36 negative stigmatizing experiences from routine perinatal care alone. This does not even include the negative interactions she might have with family, friends, or colleagues, the addiction community where she's seeking support, other healthcare professionals, or even those encounters that she may have in that first year postpartum. For example, newborn visits, making um, appointments with WIC, um, engaging in family planning visits. This just perpetuates itself and she's repeatedly exposed to these negative types of healthcare encounters. So then what happens? Um, I think any one of us would agree that when you were, were um, constantly in this 
um, mode of negative healthcare encounters, it's going to lead us to feel um, very low about ourselves. We'll have a poor self-image, poor self-esteem. We might experience shame, embarrassment, or fear. It often triggers depression and anxiety. And we know that women have a higher tendency to have more comorbidities associated with their substance use disorders. Um, it also can lead to some optimal prenatal care. So if that mother is not feeling that she can engage in prenatal care, we'll see a direct impact on her and the fetus. We might have um, missed um, warning signs for obstetric complications. We see that there's poor growth, lower birth weight babies that are associated when we don't have prenatal care. They're not being able to receive that extra emotional support that they need. We increase that risk that mothers and infants are not breastfeeding. And we have care that is not grounded in empathy and respect, which ultimately can re-traumatize women and trigger a return to use if they have entered into recovery. Um, it also will trigger um, uh, mothers to not just engage in care at all. Um, it might lead to incarceration. And unfortunately, it can actually lead to death. So what do we do then to try to, to mitigate the effects of stigma and actually reduce stigma so that we can improve the care that pregnant and parenting persons with substance use disorders are receiving? I think it's always helpful to take a step back and think about how we are responding to the care of pregnant and parenting persons in our country and, and then look at what's happening globally. And two examples that um, I was able to find um, include those from Australia and Canada. In Australia, we find that there's an overarching emphasis on the importance of establishing a trusting relationship with the person with substance use disorders during pregnancy. Their providers are really encouraging this holistic approach aimed at trying to keep her engaged in antenatal or prenatal care, um, maintain that continuity of care, and then use this non-judgmental approach so that they can um, treat the substance use disorder. Canada currently actually has no laws specific to substance use during pregnancy. Healthcare providers are not um, legally obligated to make a report about prenatal substance use. And while they acknowledge the unique and complex needs of women with substance use disorders, they are encouraging a very flexible approach to care of persons with substance use disorders during that perinatal period. The idea is one of harm reduction. Um, so um, mitigating the harm associated with substance use to have the healthiest outcomes as possible for mom and baby. Um, within the United States, we are starting to see something shift just a little bit. Um, and, and one of these areas is in this development and improvement of plans of safe care. So the Child Abuse and Prevention Treatment Act um, was amended um, by CARA in 2016. And here's where the legislation um, changed some of the requirements for state's assurances related to plans of safe care, or those plans that were looking at families and infants impacted by substance use disorder. So since about 2018, about 28 states have made modifications to their state statutes, um, either where they're trying to clarify the identification, notification, and reporting requirements um, for these um, uh, perinatal persons so that they can achieve a broader engagement in other systems, meaning they're looking at this cross-system engagement to address the substance use disorder. And some states are actually changing their definitions of child abuse or neglect as related to prenatal substance use. 
I tried to pick out some examples from a few different states in the nation where we do see some good work that is starting to be done. Now, certainly no state is perfect and everybody's in a different phase of the revisions that they're working at. Connecticut has a really interesting um, strategy and that they have this recovery engagement access coaching and healing program that has been development. And this program is really highlighting the importance of peer recovery and peer support. So they have increased the number of recovery navigators that they have. And recovery navigators um, are described by Connecticut as women who are in a position to use their own personal recovery journey to help others. They use recovery coaching techniques and case management to support women in their community and get them engaged in services that are prioritized for pregnant or parenting women with substance use disorders. Um, Montana offers another example where in 2019, they introduced a law to provide pregnant persons who seek addiction treatment um, uh, protection from prosecution. In North Dakota, we saw some recent changes to revisions in the North Dakota Century Code. And they were targeted at this alternative response idea, which means that they are using alternative response assessment um, as a means of child protection response involving substance exposed newborns. So they're really trying to expand their ability to offer um, referral services and monitor support services for persons with substance use disorders who are pregnant and parenting and um, providing healthier environments for that family unit when a substance exposed um, newborn has been, uh, been identified. This allows them to target that plan of safe care to increase that accessibility to treatment um, options. New Mexico implemented a, a House Bill 230 um, in 2019, again addressed at plans of safe care. Um, they also, um, in addition to these revisions, included a law that changed their children's code to specify that substance use on its own is not considered child abuse or neglect. And then lastly, I wanted to highlight some of the work that's happening in Colorado. So in 2011, Colorado passed a law to explicitly protect pregnant persons from criminal prosecution related to substance use. In 2020, after many, many years of work, Colorado also changed their definition of substance abuse as related to prenatal substance use. There's a program called Illuminate um, Colorado um, that is focused on promoting community education, educating professionals, fostering coalitions and networks, changing organizational practices, and influencing policy and legislation. And this is allowing them to look at treatment options and programs that can equitably serve all families through prevention and reduction of substance use during pregnancy. And they also implemented a um, fairly new public awareness campaign called Tough as a Mother. Um, and this is uh, a campaign that helps connect Colorado mothers with dependent children to substance use treatment providers in their communities. So there's some really good um, groundwork that's being laid in several states in the country um, uh, so that they can increase this idea of accessibility to treatment and really um, the overall treatment of pregnant and parenting persons with substance use disorders. I also wanted to introduce you to the idea of doula advocacy and support. Doulas um, are non-medical um, healthcare providers. They're, they're um, community members often um, who can provide non-judgmental, compassionate support that really helps to decrease that stigma that's being experienced by families impacted by substance use disorders. They are an ideal fit for a family support network. Um, 
Often when people are affected by substance use, they don't have a strong support network. And what I'm realizing is that many of the plans of care, plans of safe care that are being introduced throughout the nation um, call for that person with a substance use disorder to identify a support network. So um, we know the doulas can help families um, increase their health and well-being by mitigating risks and enhancing those protective factors. And it's just one more layer of community support that helps parents as they transition into parenthood um, and helps them learn how to nurture and care for their infant, which ultimately establishes safety and well-being. There are many growing opportunities for doulas and some of the newest programs are looking at doula certified peer recovery um, support specialists who can actually work with families in this perinatal period. Illinois recently implemented a pilot project using doula certified peer recovery spe um, specialists, as well as Arizona in their program known as the CHEERS program. So in addition to things being done at kind of a state level, how can everyone really work to help decrease stigma and improve care of pregnant and parenting persons with substance use disorders? We certainly need to start by acknowledging our own biases, first of all. Um, we can't change what we don't recognize, and so we need to know where our biases sit. Please remember that everybody's language matters. We need to start viewing addiction as a chronic disease and not a moral shortcoming, and we need to start using more non-biased language in healthcare encounters. Um, to the right of your screen, you can see here that I've got words that I suggest we try to avoid in our language and words that we might want to try in our language. So for example, instead of referring to somebody who's clean, I'm talking about them as a person in recovery, not recognizing dirty tests, but those that have a positive drug result, for example. Um, we don't want to use name calling things like addict or junkie. Instead, we want to refer to a person with a substance use disorder using that person first language, for example. It's also important that we are um, really on top of education. So we want to present and discuss the facts we want to correct all of the misinformation that's out there. We need to increase the training for healthcare professionals. And we also have to increase community awareness about substance use disorders. At the healthcare level, healthcare um, provider level, we really need to work on improving our interprofessional communication. And what I mean by that is that we do have perinatal healthcare providers who may not be well-versed about addiction and substance use treatment options. We also have recovery professionals who may not be sensitive to the unique needs that pregnant persons experience um, during their pregnancy and when they are postpartum. So we need to share um, that language, we need to share those experiences and we need to communicate to provide a more holistic type of care. We also need to encourage people to increase the clarity um, of, for example, what they're providing um, to their healthcare providers during histories, um, medical appointments. So only when we obtain clear medical histories without fear, we talk about the impact of trauma, we look at their medical needs, we look at the social service needs of pregnant and parenting persons, then we can provide this more holistic care. So we need to reduce the fear so that persons feel that they can share their needs with healthcare providers, and then healthcare providers need to be very clear about what we can offer and what's available in that treatment aspect. We need to implement well-coordinated integrated care. And by integrated care, um, I'm referring to treatment programs that include services for pregnancy, parenting, and children in combination with substance use treatment in one setting. So we're looking at addressing all of these needs um, together when we can 
And this also includes addressing the behavioral health needs that so many persons are experiencing. I'd like to remind you all that pregnancy does provide us with a window of opportunity for persons to engage in treatment and recovery. However, it is a short window of opportunity. So we really need to have programs in place so that we can help people access them as soon as possible during this um, perinatal period. Providers are encouraged to be open and transparent about their testing and reporting requirements. We really need to implement more early identification of substance use as well as universal screening. We can no longer pick and choose and exhibit bias when we talk about screening for substance use during the perinatal period. We should look at drug testing being done with the consent of that person. We need to consider standardized screening for substance use through self-report. And we cannot forget about the value of those peer services and different group types of prenatal care programs that are available. Peer support has the ability to counterbalance the discrimination, rejection, isolation, and stigma that pregnant and parenting persons are experiencing. And this can lead to longer term and more regular treatment utilization. We also need to continue to advocate for legislative and policy change. Punitive laws and actions against pregnant persons can only serve to cause a non-trusting type of patient-provider relationship. The most recent data tells us that about 23 states and the District of Columbia still consider substance use during pregnancy to be child abuse under civil child welfare statutes and three considered as grounds for civil commitment. On the improvement side of things, We've now found about 19 states that have created, funded, created and funded drug treatment programs specifically for pregnant persons. We see about 17 states in the District of Columbia providing pregnant people with priority, priority, um, priority access to state-funded treatment programs, and about 10 states prohibit publicly funded programs from discriminating against pregnant persons. That's not enough. There's more work to be done. We also know that many women are losing um, public health insurance coverage during that postpartum period. So there are ongoing discussions about being able to extend this um, healthcare coverage for them during this entire year of postpartum, which can only help to facilitate um, healthier outcomes, more engagement and care and coverage for treatment services. Finally, if we're going to change the way that stigma um, is experienced, by pregnant and parenting persons and the way that we um, exhibit our stigma um, within our, our United States, we have to start supporting the providers who are caring for families who are impacted by substance use disorders. These providers are often experiencing ethical distress, moral distress and, um, distress, and even compassion fatigue. It's hard work that is being done. And it can be very helpful for all of us to become more aware of our biases, increase our knowledge about mental health um, disorders and substance use disorders. Look at that impact of comorbidity. We need to learn about the impact of intimate partner violence, family dynamics, and trauma in the context of substance use disorders. And we really need to become more aware of our local and state treatment options for pregnant and parenting persons with substance use disorders. Finally, we need to be kind to each other. This is hard work. We're only going to to move in the right direction once we all work together to reduce the stigma that pregnant and parenting persons are experiencing. With that, I thank you. I have left my contact information for you. And again, thank you for the work that you are doing to reduce the stigma that pregnant and parenting persons are experiencing once they have substance use disorders.